0: These papers that the State Department prepared specifically for today's meeting they are impossible to read. Well, we have special divisions headed by official ministry staffers and it's their duty to study all of that and a response has already followed. I don't think it needs any further comments. You could be flipping through it and open it at any page at random to be convinced that none of it holds up to any kind of critical analysis.
1: And in the majority of cases, it's simply blatant lies. That was the Russian Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov, giving you a flavour of what tensions are like at the moment around the world, in particular with the Ukraine crisis at the forefront. It's very much that geopolitics has overtaken COVID-19 as the biggest risk to the outlook. But how can decision makers manage this era of uncertainty? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from The National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio content. With me is The National's future editor and co-host of this show, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. So a very large sort of block of uncertainty cheese is here for us. To kind of chew on,
2: yeah. All right, let's make it cheddar and not holy Swiss cheese, because okay, set the table for us though, Mustafa, because there are so many players on the chessboard right now. It seems, and uh, no end to uncertainty as to what happens next across each of these kind of theaters that we're seeing. So, in your mind, who are the main characters? What is happening?
1: So, if we if we're setting the table here, the the big sort of feast that we need to to kind of get into is how Ukraine and tensions between Russia and NATO Western powers over what what is being said to be a potential invasion um, troop and military buildup by the Russians on Ukraine's borders which they say is a deterrent because NATO is doing its own buildup um, there is certainly a huge uh, propaganda war ongoing at the moment between the Russians on one side and sort of the most vocal I would group, the US, the UK, and Canada, while the European powers, not the Eastern European ones who really have a lot of skin in this game, but France, Germany, um, other Western European nations kind of trying to, to manage this through.
2: Right. We're seeing a bit of a diplomatic play. Boris Johnson of the UK, Emmanuel Macron actually sat down with Putin this week to try to forge a diplomatic way forward. That does seem like it's still open, but UK, US seem to believe that Russian invasion of Ukraine is, is likely at, at this point while we're sitting here. This is, of course, an evolving issue, but they're just one player on, on the chessboard. So do you have anyone? Who else?
1: Yeah. So that, the uncertainty is literally the uncertainty of what happens because you can either you can say on the one hand, full invasion, and then on the other, you could kind of say something far less, but that, that forces Western nations to react, whether it's sanctions or otherwise. Also going on is, uh, North Korea, uh, that had kind of simmered down, have recently been testing more ballistic missiles than ever before. And there's a lot of spec, not speculation, but there's a lot of analysis of where and why, where they're getting the money to do this and why they're doing it, but it's creating a lot of noise and that in itself is uncertainty, not just in terms of the US, but for Asia as well. Then, if we talk about the Middle East, uh, we've had recent attacks from the the Houthis in Yemen on the UAE. The Yemen war itself remains, you know, a big question mark. Uh, We've had the uh, killing, or the the, you know the the operation that resulted in the killing of the ISIS leader in Syria um, by U.S. special forces. So that's still continuing. In Iraq, there is a political crisis in a way because uh, they're trying to form a new government. But they can't even decide at the moment on the on the president, which is a nomination, um, which should be fairly straightforward, backroom negotiations. Don't know what's happening there. The militias are still in question. And interlinking this region is the bigger kind of outcome of, of what will be from the nuclear talks with Iran and Western powers. So there's a lot of, I don't know what the metaphor is, plates, balls, something, a lot of stuff in the air. And we're not even talking about inflation, energy crisis. Um, what's happening to stock markets, the volatility, the regulation for the big tech companies, what's going to happen to us all when we have to go and live and work in the metaverse? I mean, <laughs> you know, there there is, it, I feel like we kind of had this huge uncertainty of COVID and we moved out of that and you kind of think, phew, okay, we've got a handle on that. Okay. We've got Omicron, but we've got vaccines and we've got protocols and and we kind of almost feel like we're there. And then now it's, well, wait a minute.
2: And no matter where we go, here we are. And we're returning back to a lot of the themes that we were actually talking about pre-pandemic. The other thing that you didn't mention that I just want to add into this this soup is the U.S.-China trade war, which has been percolating, I don't think has been on many people's radars recently. We're about to get trade stats on U.S.-China over the last year that the Biden administration is saying they fell short, and so we're going to need a better concrete plan. So I expect to see U.S.-China to come into the fore. To your point as well, tech stocks, the volatility of the stock market, as well as the energy crunch that Europe is facing, we've got a bunch of things happening in the background, and then the outcomes of everything that we talk about today. None of this is binary. All of these outcomes really are going to occur in a gray area, which is why all of these interlinking factors are so important. Is because they all seem to sort of feed into each other and have a bit of a ripple effect in this globalized world that we we very much live in.
1: If you're a if you're running a business, if you're a you know senior executive, whatever industry it might be, it might be easy or tempting to say, I'm just gonna pull the covers over my head and maybe not emerge for another two years because it feels like whatever you do, whatever decisions you make, that sort of bigger events are gonna come and derail your expectations.
2: And there seems to be, I think, legacy of the pandemic is a greater expectation from leadership at businesses to really tango with real-world scenarios. It's not enough now for businesses to operate in vacuums separate from energy crunch supply chain. Not that it's not enough. It's actually impossible because you do so at your peril if you're not managing your climate risk, your ESG metrics, all of all of the things we've been talking about now for months, if not years. You can't pull the covers over your head anymore. It's, it's no longer possible. It's, it's no longer survivable.
1: So we spoke to uh, Chris Blackhurst, who is uh, a business commentator for The National, um, has been watching all these events from his base in the UK, and he walked us through what it it is like for industry and business at the moment, given the level of uncertainty. Let's listen to that now. So Chris, uh, largely there has been a shift in the sentiment when it comes to geopolitics, and we're almost back to an era that we were, that we saw before the pandemic when there was a lot of tension for example between the US and China over trade and no one knew how that would impact you know overall business sentiment and investment and now in in the early weeks of 2022 with Ukraine and Russia uh, that crisis seemingly dragging on we have in the Middle East whether it's uh, Yemen and the Houthi rebels and their actions or it seemingly unable to reach Uh, some kind of traction on a reasonable uh, deal with Iran over its nuclear ambitions. Geopolitical tensions are very much back on the agenda. I mean, from your point of view, you've been covering business, you've been watching uh, business for a long time. Um, How does this affect business leaders and decision makers when when, when they look at the year ahead and what they need to do?
0: Yes, we're living in a hugely uncertain time. This is a but people can probably tell I'm of a certain age. I, I sort of hesitate to say it like this, which is um, I can't remember a more uncertain time. I'm sure if I went back, um I probably could with various wars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we are living in a hugely uncertain time for all sorts of reasons. I mean, there's the Ukraine, and what the Ukraine is about is the willingness and desire of Russia and Vladimir Putin to, to flex their muscles. We've got the same issue effectively with China. So we have two very strong presidents in both countries who are very ambitious, very fiercely ambitious for their countries. That's destabilising. At the same time, we have a a, a relatively weak United States, a, a very uncertain United States, a very split United States. And then the EU is effectively all over the place. I mean, they're not really certain. And we've lost Angela Merkel, who was a stabilising influence. So on the political side, um, and then there's India as well. I mean, I could go on and on and on. But there's the political side. There's also the social side, where business leaders are acutely aware that the world is literally full of social unrest, um, whether it's issues surrounding inequality, food poverty, issues around... Me too. I mean, all these things play into their thinking. And, and then on top of that, of course, I've said so much so far without even saying climate change. So you put all that together and we are living in a very uncertain period. Where the markets are doesn't help. Business leaders, um, if you're running a multinational corporation mm-hmm. or even a, a domestic or co- a national company based in one country, what business craves more than anything is certainty. What they're not getting at the moment is any degree of certainty. In fact, they're getting a complete opposite. And the markets are extremely volatile and taking decisions now on whether I should invest here or expand there or take over this company, all of which involves spending money, they're likely increasingly to to, to sit tight.
2: Chris, I have to say, I find it almost comforting that you say this is The most uncertain time you've witnessed in your lifetime, (laughs) because as somebody who came of age sort of during an inconvenient truth and came of age during the climate crisis uh, reconciliation, now we've we've reached acceptance. We're moving into now the energy transition. And to me, it's disheartening that the lever that's being pushed right now is the Nord 2 gas pipeline on Russia. That feels like such a short term thing to be thinking about because that pipeline you know, we've thought about that being used for hydrogen already. This conversation feels like we're thinking six months in advance rather than six years or 60 years in advance. I don't know. How are you thinking about how we've left that sort of energy transition conversation? Have we left it behind?
0: No, not at all. On my list of things that i Fuel, uh, fuel. uh, Sorry, there's no pun intended, but the things that fuel uncertainty, energy is a a major factor. And yes, it is disheartening when a geopolitical event like Russia's intentions towards Ukraine, that that comes down to the bargaining chip appears to be a a pipeline. But that says an awful lot about energy fragility, which. Is an enormous concern, and the fact is, um, I mean, look, I'm speaking to you from the UK, um, where we get our energy from, and how that energy is is going to be developed. Honestly, we have no idea, and and the problem we have is that politicians. And I think this is interesting, actually, because if you think of Russia and China, one thing that that unites them is the the power the authoritarian power of their governments and their leaders, in a sense, they are able to take far longer-term decisions and look ahead in a way that um, perhaps other countries can't, um, where their leaders, certainly the democratic countries, their leaders are obsessed with lurching from one election to the next election. I mean, the politicians I know in the UK... Uh, people in this government and and the opposition, you know, they can barely think beyond next week. Getting a politician to put plans down now for something a long way ahead for which that they will get no credit is very difficult, and that's something that is right across all all the democracies, and it's very hard. And I mean, I'll give you an example. While the world is focusing on Ukraine and worrying about that, China carries on. Um, Buying things, laying down the putting the groundwork in for resources for minerals, uh, investing increasing amounts in Africa now in the Caribbean, in the Pacific. No other country is doing this. Uh, I mean, not as I'm aware of, um, not to the same anything like the same degree. And that's China's ability to plan ahead, which we simply do do not have.
1: Well, I, I, there was something you wrote, Chris, uh, for the National. It was quite a poignant piece where you you kind of in your local area you met with a restaurant owner and the reason why i bring this up is because um even though the pandemic has had an impact on the labor market in the UK you to a certain extent business and industry is still living with the consequences of brexit which was you know the most impactful moment for uk and europe pre pandemic if you like and now uh, that we're if we are emerging from the pandemic there's still it's still kind of waiting for us it's still sitting there these consequences from from two years ago. They didn't just go away. And you talk about you know what China's doing, what's happening between Russia, the Ukraine, and in Europe. I mean, a lot of this is, it seems, almost th- that things that were on the back burner are suddenly re-emerging again that we have to deal with. And the sad thing seems to be that we still don't have an answer for a lot of these things, in particular Brexit.
0: The UK, for the last two years, we've been... Um entirely concentrating on one thing which has been covid and the problems that we've created by leaving the eu and look i declare my hand i'm a remainer um but but it's no coincidence that so was most of business in fact you would be very hard pressed to find a a serious high level business figure who was pro brexit there were barely any and The reason for that was that they saw the advantages of being in a a free trade bloc, where we were effectively one of the dominant forces. I mean, arguably, with Germany, the most dominant. And now, in terms of Britain, we're on our own. You know, it's a cliche, but we are an island. Um, We're a small island. We're overcrowded. We have to buy in everything. And we're increasingly a service economy. Um, the days of British manufacturing—they're not there anymore. And um, I think it was a, a crazy thing to do. I mean, what it's done effectively, which we're only beginning to see, is add to the red tape. And but the the other thing points I'd make are that the on COVID, while we've been fighting COVID, and the world has come together on COVID, but. While we've been fighting COVID, you know, there are massive problems in supply all over the world. Um, they're not just confined to the UK. They're coming through. Inflation is climbing in, in, in lots of economies, in the US, in the UK and elsewhere. Um, the cost of living is rising. The central banks are going to, uh, I mean, this will be have a huge impact. They're going to cut back on their quantitative easing. Interest rates are climbing and These are all things, I mean, they're affecting the markets right now, but these are all things that are going to affect all of us. So
2: two pieces of evidence speaking to this question that Mustafa just asked, the Oxfam survey that found the rich really only got richer during the pandemic, so the haves and the have-nots, and then the Edelman Trust Barometer that shows increasing distrust in our media and our public servants. So when you think about business leaders and what you want from them operating in this environment... A lot of this speaks to systemic issues, of course, but what are the smart businesses doing and what do you want to see them doing?
0: You're quite right. The Oxfam finding really confirms something. It's a worsening problem. The rich are getting richer. The super rich are getting super richer, if that's allowed to be a phrase, and the poor are getting poorer. And this has got worse during a pandemic. And at the same time, because of the way politicians responded to the pandemic and they were they were all over the place, they were blindsided nobody realized that this was obviously it caught the world up by surprise and i don 't think any country emerged from the from the pandemic with credit um, i can 't think of any political leader anywhere in the world who's emerged totally with credit i mean you can make a case and say well new zealand had a good pandemic. Not now, I mean New Zealand's the fury in New Zealand about their ongoing lockdown, so there's an example. No political leader emerged with credit, they won't believe, but what that's done, as the Edelman Trust Barometer rightly says, is that it's thrown the, the impetus back onto business. The issue being that people, people in societies all over the world, they cling to, they, they want guidance, Um, they cling to pillars, they cling to people and things they can trust. And what those pillars are are those anchors are first and foremost family and close friends. But after that, they're looking around who do I believe? Who do I believe? Who do I put my faith in? Um, well, it's my employer because my employer is looking after me. Um, because they've got my welfare at heart, it stands to reason, and they want me to to live. They want me to thrive and prosper. And that's what the Edelman Trust Barometer is saying, that business now finds itself occupying this position. And the problem with that for business and all this is business isn't really trained to do it. Uh, I mean, I have to be honest and think to myself, if I was offered the chairmanship of, and it won't happen, <laughs> it's not going to happen, but if I was offered the chairmanship of a multinational, one of the biggest banks or a big pharma company or um, a big retailer, would I actually want it right now? Because gone are the days when it was purely about making sure my supply lines were running and the customers were happy and my shelves were filled and I got products that I could get out there and the price was right. Those are all the things that are to do with operating a business. Those days have gone. It's now about much, much more. And business leaders now, and this is what the Edelman Trust Barometer is saying, business leaders are expected to opine on anything that, frankly, is to do with Me Too, is to do with diversity, is to do with climate change, uh, food poverty. I mean, take your pick. Any, Any issue that occupies society generally business leaders are now expected to have a view on and lead not just have a view on but lead and lead by example and the problem there is that this is new they're not they're not equipped to do that they're not trained they're not being rude but it's not part of their psyche it's not part of their training so it makes it a very difficult time i mean i said earlier i've never known a time of greater uncertainty i don't think i've ever known a time of greater difficulty for running a major company, um, an international company. It's a very difficult time.
1: That was Chris Blackhurst. That's it for today. Kelsey Warner, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. All that remains is to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Ayesha Khan. Do join us again next time.